Chapter Nine of The Copper Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush, May two thousand nine. The Copper Princess by Kirk Monroe. Chapter Nine: Winning a Friend by Sheer Luck. Peveril's lamp had been extinguished during his struggle to force an entrance into the skip. While that in Mike Connell's hat went out as he sank helpless from terror and crouched at the other's feet. So the blackness that shrouded them as with a pall was only faintly illuminated by the fitful flashing of the fuses that hissed like so many fiery serpents beneath them. Their red eyes gleamed spitefully through the gloom, and for an instant Peveril, leaning over the side of the skip, gazed at them in fascinated helplessness. Then he leaped down among them, and began to tear them from their connection with the devilish forces that only awaited a signal to burst forth and destroy him. The fiery serpents bit at him as he flung them, to writhe in impotent rage, where they could do no harm. But he heeded not the pain, and after a little they expired, one by one, hissing spitefully to the last. Some of them had already burned so low that he could not pluck them forth, and was forced to stamp out their venomous lives with the constant knowledge that, should a single spark escape this imperfect method of extinguishment, he would still be lost. So fiercely did he labor that in less than one minute the last visible spark from a score of fuses had glimmered out, and he stood in absolute darkness. But he must wait for a full minute more before he could be certain that none had escaped him, to creep viciously down through the loose tamping and still reach the hidden dynamite. It was a period of the same helpless anxiety that immediately precedes the hearing of a sentence that may be either of death or acquittal. While it lasted, Peveril was bathed in a cold perspiration, his brain reeled, and his limbs trembled until he was obliged to lean against the side of the shaft for support. As second after second dragged itself away, until it was finally certain that sixty of them had passed, and that sentence had been pronounced in his favor, the young miner sank to his knees and framed as best he could a prayer of gratitude. How long he thus remained in grateful contemplation of his narrow escape from death he never knew, but he was at length aroused by a shout from above, and looking up saw an approaching light twinkling like a star of good promise through the blackness. The call that came to him was one of anxious uncertainty, but as his answering shout sped upward, it was changed to an exultant cry of joy. Then came cheer after cheer as the skip slowly descended, until it finally reached the bottom, and a solitary figure sprang from it. This person acted like a crazy man, first flinging his fists about Peveril, and then falling on his knees at the young man's feet, with a torrent of words in which praise and gratitude were mingled with pleas for forgiveness. He was Peveril's recent companion and avowed enemy, who, after the former had leaped from the skip, had leaned weakly over its side and watched with fascinated gaze the struggle for life going on below him. Ere it was ended, the hoisting machinery began again to work, and the skip was suddenly impelled upward with breathless speed. Those who witnessed its safe arrival at the surface had their congratulations changed to exclamations of dismay by the discovery that it contained but a single occupant. 
though the time limit for the explosion was already passed, and though Mike Connell begged them to send him down again at once, they refused to do so until another full minute should elapse. During its slow passage, they crowded about the shaft-mouth in breathless silence, listening with strained ears for the awful sound they so dreaded to hear. Even with the minute of safety passed, it was not certain that the explosion might not yet occur. But the young Irishman demanded so fiercely to be instantly lowered to the very bottom that they finally consented to do as he desired. Several were even willing to accompany him, but he waved these back and insisted upon going alone. He had to meet the man to whom he owed his life as well as a shameful confession of cowardly acts, and he preferred to meet him alone. Two minutes later he was at the bottom of the shaft, kneeling in semi-darkness on its rocky floor, acknowledging his obligation, confessing his guilt, and imploring forgiveness. "'You are the bravest man I've ever known, Mr. Peril, though I've met them as was counted brave before, but none of them would dare do what you have this day. You have given me my life, and yet I tried twice to take yours, for twas me flung that rock in the mine.' and i'm choked with the shame of the black deed but i gave the signal to hoist the skip a few minutes since and tried to leave you here to die i'm a coward and a murderer at heart mr peril and the dirtiest blackguard that ever was let live i'm not worthy of your contempt and yet sir i'm going to dare ask a favor of you my dear fellow interrupted peveril who was greatly moved by the man's attitude and words of self-condemnation believe me "'Wait, Mr. Peril, please wait, sir, till you've heard me through. "'You have the right to hate me, to despise me, or even to kill me, "'and I've not lift a finger to prevent you. "'But I'm going to ask you to forgive me. "'If you don't, I can never hold up my head "'or look an honest man in the face again. "'If you can't forgive me, I shall never dare ask the forgiveness of God in heaven.' "'I do forgive you with all my heart,' exclaimed Peveril, "'and there is my hand on it.' With this he grasped the young Irishman's hand and almost lifted him to his feet. "'You have done a brave deed in coming down here after me,' he added. While there was still danger of an explosion, and one much braver even than that in confessing your faults. These two things prove that you are not a coward, and from this time on I shall claim you as a friend.' "'Thank you, Mr. Peril, and God bless you for them words,' cried Connell, in a voice choked with feeling." "'As for being your friend, sir, I'd be proud to be counted your slave.' "'I would much rather have a friend than a slave,' returned the other, smiling. "'And so, if you don't mind, we'll stick to the first proposition. "'But, Connell, I want to ask you a question. "'What made you hate me, as you seem to do from the very first? "'Jealousy, Mr. Peril. "'Just black, bitter jealousy, and nothing at all else.' "'How could that be, when you didn't even know me?' "'Because, sir, I'm near crazy with love for a girl who only laughs at me, "'and whose folks treat me with contempt. "'When I first saw you so strong and handsome and gentlemanlike with her father, "'and knew he was going to take you to live in the very house along of her, "'I couldn't help but hate you.' "'You surely can't mean Miss Trefethen?' "'Yes, sir, no other. "'And when I seen you and her walking together, and she looking up so smiling into your face, I swore I'd kill you if ever I had the chance, and this day the devil gave it to me. But now, Mr. Peril, you've proven yourself the best man of us two. 
and if you want her, I'll never again stand in your way. But I don't want her, cried Peveril. Nothing was ever farther from my thoughts, and even if I did, I couldn't have her, because I am engaged to another young lady. You are, sir. Bless you for them words. And may I tell her that you are already bespoke? Certainly, or better still, I will tell her myself at the very first opportunity I have for speaking with her on such a subject. But now that everything is settled between us, don't you think we'd better prepare the blast again before we go up? There is fuse enough left in the skip. Well, you are a game one, exclaimed Connell admiringly. Of course, if you are willing to do it after what you've just gone through, I'm the man to stand by you. Only I do hope as there won't be no hitch in the hoisting this time. The signal, all's well, having already been sent to the surface, Connell now notified the engineer to be ready to hoist for a blast, and the two set to work. In a few minutes the charge, that had so nearly proved fatal to both of them, was again ready for firing, and the hissing fuses were lighted. Then both men sprang into the skip, the signal to hoist was hurriedly sounded, and again they sped up the black shaft towards the distant sunlight. As they reached the surface and clambered from the skip, aided by a dozen eager hands, there came from the depths below a dull roar and the tremor of a heavy explosion. At this, a throng of persons which, to Peveril's surprise, was gathered at the shaft-mouth, raised a mighty cheer. Then they crowded tumultuously forward to shake hands with, or even to gaze on, the hero of the hour. For, on his previous visit to surface, Mike Connell had told of Peveril's brave deed, and news of it had already spread far and wide. So the night shift had paused to see him before entering the mine, and the day shift had waited to greet him before going to their homes, while others had come from all directions. Waving them all back and grasping Peveril's hand, Mike Connell shouted, "'Wait a minute, mates. Only one minute, and then you shall have a chance at him. First, though, I want you all to know that Mr. Peril here has just stepped from the very jaws of hell, where he went of his own free will to save my life. It's proud I am to call him my friend, and for the deed he has done this day I name him the bravest lad in all Red Jacket. If any man denies that, he'll have to settle with Mike Connell, that's all. And now, boys, you may treat him as a brave man deserves to be treated. Poor Peveril, covered with confusion, tried to explain that whatever he had done was for his own salvation as well as for that of his friend, Mr. Connell. But no one would listen. All were too busy with cheering and in crowding forward for a look at him. In another minute he was hoisted on the shoulders of half a dozen sturdy miners, the foremost of whom was proud old Mark Trefethen, and was being borne in a triumphal procession through the principal streets of the town. It was a spontaneous tribute of working men to a fellow workman, and gladly as Peveril would have modified the form of the ovation, he was more proud of it than of any ever tendered him for having stroked the Oxford Varsity Eight to a win. End of chapter 9